Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch with the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, and this is Spartan Speak, the beginning of the Jonathan Smith era. And uh, the A.J. Hogard is not the starting point guard for the moment era of uh, Michigan State basketball. Lots to talk about today. Um, apologies for not doing this earlier in the week. I got uh, drilled with an illness that may or may not have been the fault of a woman who was very inconsiderate on the plane I was on last week, hacking up a lung. And uh, nonetheless, could have been a basketball player's fault too. Could, yes, this could have been Tyson Walker's fault <laughs> last week. This is this is karma for me writing writing that last week. And uh, I stand by my nineteen ninety six. You, you asked column. Tom Izzo about it. I did, I did. I stand by my 1996 column in the Atlantic Sexton High School Student Newspaper in which I said, anybody who comes to school sick should be suspended for three days, same as punching somebody in the face because the result is just as bad. Um, this stinks. But I'm feeling a lot better and excited to talk about MSU uh, and MSU football uh, first because they have a new coach. And the last time we talked, you know, they hadn't even played Penn State yet, uh, I don't think we need to spend any yeah. time on that. At least in podcast form, we we did we did a recap video where we that's true kind of that's a good point. I mean, it was about twelve out and not even twelve hours before Jonathan Smith was hired, uh, maybe around that, and pretty much we we kind of had heard it coming from you know early uh, Thanksgiving week onward. Yeah, I mean, what, what's interesting is this went about as well as Michigan State and Alan Haller could have hoped. Uh, it was relatively silent. It wasn't, I mean, he apparently knew this is who he wanted uh, at least a couple weeks out. He knew he wanted this to play out this way, maybe more from when he had started talking to Smith. And, you know, guys like you and I started to know this was where it was headed early in Thanksgiving week. And then there was no wasted time. Both Jonathan Smith's former team and Michigan State play Friday night, by the middle of the noon games on Saturday, Michigan State is announcing the hire, not letting it trickle out, not letting national reporters hear it from some agent somewhere, nothing else. It was on their terms very quickly that Jonathan Smith was the new football coach and uh, is, uh, from the beginning, Haller said that he wanted this to be a small circle. It wound up being, I think, uh, even smaller than, than I realized uh, because for a long time it was, it was, it was mostly him and um, and then uh, you know within um, forty eight hours later he's introduced uh, at Michigan State your your initial I guess seventy two hours it was Tuesday but your initial impressions of the hire Chris and then of Jonathan Smith on Tuesday yeah I, I'd agree with you on the 
the I don't want to say silence of the search, but um, the, the the legitimate information was pretty thin for a long while, and uh, you know that's a, a credit to Alan Haller, and in 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 a lot of ways, and I kind of said this from the outset that the Urban Meyer smokescreen. And, you know, whether you want to believe the veracity or not of it or however you want to look at it, it was a smokescreen that allowed Alan Haller to operate his search his way. And that was one of the first things that he talked about is thanking the board for letting him do a thorough search and make the hire. So, you know, even though the board hasn't technically officially had the the meeting to approve the contract yet, um, that that tacit rubber stamp is kind of already there and in place, uh, prepared for Jonathan Smith to to just basically do go through the formalities and the initial impressions of him. I mean, he seems he seems genuine, which I think is an important thing for this program at the moment. Um, he seems I don't want to say uh, he, he has a lot to learn. Um, in terms of the area, in terms of the school, in terms of the rival. I mean, he hadn't even taken a walk on campus uh, by day three. And it's understandable because he's got to meet with all the players and all the coaching staff that's outbound and meet with the administration and everybody else. So, I mean, he's been tucked away in the football building and meetings since he arrived, more or less. So, uh, but the the little that we got to talk to him off the podium, I, I sense that he is a guy that says some pretty substantive things, but not very verbose. He he, he wouldn't he wouldn't fit well on this podcast. Let's put it that way. But that's not we don't we don't have any substance, and we are very shot, verbose. Yeah. So no, I think I got it. That was a shot at both of us. It was yes. it was solid. Um, yes. the um. No, yeah, he he. Did, one of the things I think stands out about him to me is that he, I think you know he is less comfortable selling himself than he is coaching football. Yes, and that that's not to knock Mel Tucker, who was who was, who had some swagger, and part of the business of coaching college football is selling your program as a head coach. That's not to say you can't do both, and that's so that's not I'm not knocking that, but but that is clear that that is he is not somebody who. Um, you know he's different than Mel, and, and and you know something that Alan Haller would be careful not to say, but I think knew is that they had to hire somebody a little different than Mel. You can't repeat the same hire, the same personality, and 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 um, the same characteristics. And I I think there's a lot in um, Jonathan Smith that looks like a program builder, somebody who is uh, you know everybody I've talked to, you know, and there have been about. You know, two, three, well, actually, yeah, three people who have former coaches or coaches who have, from afar, looked at the work he's done, has done, and thinks it's impressive. And and people aren't people will give it to you straight, so to speak. You know, and and I I think that is, I think he has the respect of his peers, and that is something yes, that that yes. um, is is sort of stands out. And that's not every coach who gets hired at these big jobs have have that sort of thing. So that stood out to me. Uh, right away, um, and I think the fit is interesting because you, Chris, you bring up a really good point there. A lot to learn, and in a lot of ways, he does about Michigan State specifically, 
the history of the program, the campus. But one of the things when you talk about fit, you talk about being at the school that, and, and Haller put this really interestingly. He said, you know, it, it's not about necessarily knowing exactly how, you know, Michigan versus Michigan State. It's understanding that there is a school just up or down the road that sometimes that you hate, that sometimes looks down on you and you want to beat them. Yeah. Understanding the dynamic that I ex- expect ex- exists for Oregon State with Oregon that is in, has some similar uh, tentacles to what uh, Michigan State and Michigan is. But yeah, look, he has no in-state or west of Montana coaching experience or ties. They have one guy on their roster who is from Chicago, uh, nobody else from the Midwest. He was recruited by two coaches who are no longer on Oregon State staff. So they are going to, I think, keep a few coaches. I think he'll hire a few coaches from here, and he'll bring some of his coaches. It'll be a mix. But he's obviously well aware of that. Yeah, you have to. I mean, especially at this point where – you got signing day less than a month out uh, for the early signing day, and he was, I thought, cautious to say, "Well, there is also a second signing day," and you know that people kind of forget that because of the way that that things have been of late, where the early signing period is the the point where you have the highest end kids all inking their letter of intent. Um, and becoming committed players instead of simply pledges. Um, so that, it, you know, that there's a lot of ground to make up in that. I, it sounds like uh, the, the Anthony Carey, the, the four-star running back, is once again back in the mix after decommitting. And I think, you know, the things that, that really need to be done at the moment for Jonathan Smith is, one, identifying the players who need re-recruited, um, maybe guys who decommitted or guys like Nick Marsh, just make sure we're keeping you guys in the fold. The Lewinsky brothers, um, you know, keep them in the fold and, and on track. Henry Hasselbeck, uh, those kind of guys. Um, I think they've got eight guys that are committed still, and they lost six in that process so they could go that. But he also has to try and re-recruit the roster and guys that he wants. I mean, 14 players going into the portal – uh, since sat- since Friday's game, uh, there's really after the the hiring on Saturday. Um, you know, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays when and Wednesday, a lot of those guys went into the 14. All three quarterbacks, um, three I think three receivers, five offensive linemen. Uh, it's a lot a lot of bodies going in right away. And, and to me, I don't know about you, but the biggest one that I thought that is Somewhat a surprise, and someone they need to prioritize is Derek Harmon because Derek Harmon is still a young impact defensive tackle, yeah. and those are hard to come by. But you know, outside of all those things, um, you know, in terms of you know getting the lay of the land of guys that are part of or about to be part of your program. Jonathan Smith has he admitted he has to get out in the car and start driving to these high schools. Something that really Mel Tucker and his staff couldn't do because of the pandemic. Um, you know, because I, I do think that you know when you talk about the personality, um, you know, the first couple times that we talked to Mel Tucker, it 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 felt and you know if you can kind of put yourself back, Graham, into that February early March twenty twenty 
time period. I mean, he felt like he had a little bit of Tom Izzo vibe to him at that point. And, you know, I don't know how much the pandemic disrupted that, um, you know, and, uh, you know, th- it was just such a weird time. I mean, obviously everything that transpired after, um, you know, you started to understand what happened and the downfall of Mel Tucker. But looking back to that early 2020 period, you know, he, he seemed like a good hire and a good fit under the circumstances that they had. But even Alan Haller admitted they didn't have time to do their due diligence and it really kind of bit them. This time they had nothing but time uh, to identify and examine candidates to how they, to their specifications. And I thought Alan Haller did a good job of that. Yeah. You know, it. so there are a couple of things. One, I thought it was interesting how much he, Jonathan Smith kept saying that, um, you know, who is in our locker room in January and ready to go, we'll be ready to go with. He was basically giving understanding that some guys might need some time, some space. They're going to have to recruit guys. They're going to have to figure some things out. I don't think he's going to hold the portal against any Michigan State player. And I think a number of these guys who are jumping in the portal will, will, will have to make a decision. Um, but if, if they're back in the fold and ready to go in January and still enrolled at Michigan State, that's fine. Because some of these guys will find there's not a better situation for them out there. Some, some of them may just want to see what's out there. I don't think everybody uh, is necessarily gone. Um, I, it will be interesting. I, 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 my guess is none of the three quarterbacks are back. I could see maybe one of them. I mean, you know, I do think it's, you know, because the, Who would that, yeah, the, there's. I, I think when we start looking at that, I mean, you know, Uyen Galela, I from Oregon State jumped in the portal on Thursday, uh, and he w- really had a a renaissance under Jonathan Smith, and I think he has one year left. He had transferred there from Clemson. And really, if Michigan State adds him, could be an instant starter at a high level uh, next year. If, if if that works, and I don't know if it will. I mean, you know, people are talking about w- whether his freshman out there, Aiden Childs, comes, and that's uh, a conflict with Sam Levitt because Childs was recruited over Sam Levitt at Oregon State. And Sam Levitt seems to have, seems to be holding that against against him. Yeah, and and, and the other one is Dante Moore jumping in the portal. Yeah, I mean, that's and that and uh, to me that's a big one. Um, and I think that's to to me if you're going to go after a younger quarterback, that's the guy that Jonathan Smith needs to go after because you need to start making big inroads into Detroit, and that would be a massive splash right away in your biggest recruiting area in the backyard. And well, he's also got to evaluate and think. You know, I, I know. You know, he's a five-star kid, but you also have to look at who are the. I mean, he he obviously knows Childs, right? I mean, well, the question is, you, you have to evaluate these kids and say which of them can be a really good quarterback. Because you know, Dante Moore didn't have a great year, and you know, there's there he'll he'll know the two Oregon State kids, obviously, and he'll um, and he's a quarterbacks guy, and so they'll they'll have a feel for it. Uh, but if you think you can shape more into a really good quarterback, the one advantage of these young guys transferring is it's a one-time transfer. So if you transfer in as a sophomore, yeah. that's like the old you're you're in. You know, it's not like you know the, the grad transfers have the ability to keep moving. And, and it, Nate Carter's a, a good example of that. Nate Carter is he is a third-year sophomore, going to be have the rest yeah. of his eligibility. He can't transfer until he graduates. 
And right. from what the way I understand it, those even the graduate transfers have now been minimized to one-time graduate transfers. So that's you know yep. the, the the hope and goal is to try and cut down on on guys going to the portal. As my phone has been blowing up all the last two three days with every guy around the country at every single level of from Monmouth and Harvard all the way up to. Florida State and LSU and, you know, all the power brokers. I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, I don't know how that – I mean, it, you got to have a coach that understands that. My phone's been blowing up since basically Wednesday, Thursday, all day. Um, seemingly like every two or three minutes of guys entering the transfer portal from every level from Monmouth and Harvard to LSU, Florida State, you know, all the major power brokers. So, I mean, it's kind of what the day and age of college football is. And, you know, I do think it's important that they, Michigan State was able to hire someone who has had to kind of navigate that over the course of the last few years. But I don't know what the future is moving forward. Um, but if you aren't using it as uh, a tool, like like Jonathan Smith said, um, you're, you're not going to get ahead. And so guys like... Dante Moore and Ungalela and everybody else that are going in there. I mean, particularly the quarterback position because who knows what's going to happen. Um, but I do think that one interesting thing, if they did get Ungalela, and I may be butchering his name completely, but I think I'm in that ballpark. Um, he and Caden Hauser both went mm-hmm. to St. John Bosco, which is kind of an interesting little tidbit there um but you also if you're jonathan smith need to keep some separation in your quarterback class that's something that mark d'antonio did remember a quarterback at class um you've got henry hasselbeck coming in um so how do you space those guys out and make sure that guys in that quarterback room feel like they have a, a legitimate opportunity to compete for the job. That's that's going to be a challenge if yeah, it, yep. nobody no, it'll sticks be, around. It'll be interesting because I, I still think, based on what we saw from Sam Levitt, I would take a um, – it doesn't sound like it, but I would take a churn at trying to convince that kid to uh, to stick around. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be it's going to be very interesting to see. What, what's, what's so crazy and just asinine about the calendar now, this is why they have to change the, the calendar and, and move signing day back to February uh, because – and this is – you've got so much that has to be done by about December 20th. I think the 20th is the 21st. The 20th, I think, is the signing day, the early signing day period. Yeah. So basically between then, you have to secure your own – work on securing your own roster, hit the road to visit all these recruits, work the transfer portal, and hire a staff. It's just hire a it's staff too much. to go and out and not, recruit. It's not fair to not just the coaches. It's not fair to the players at the schools currently. This is a month that should be no coaches on the road. They should be preparing for bowl games. I mean, you got the new Oregon State coach who might have been the defensive coordinator at Michigan State if he hadn't taken the job saying he's not actually going to coach in the bowl game because he has to worry about all these other things. We're not in a good place when coaches who have previously been at the school, even if they are taking over a different role, can't coach in the bowl game because there's so much going on. It should be... You're entirely on campus, and you are uh, trying to recruit your own roster, work the transfer portal, but not 
not out recruiting at this point. Well, I mean, this is what they wanted. I mean, this is kind of what coaches wanted, kind of what everybody in college sports wanted. They, you wanted an early signing period. Well, to me, you know, the early signing period, move it before the season. I mean, college basketball's early signing period is before the high school basketball season begins. Why, why shouldn't the high school football be like that? I mean, guys talked so often about, I want to get this out of the way and focus on my season. Well, put pen to paper if you want to get it out of the way, because all that happens between the end of most kids' high school season, you know, in late October, you know, early to mid-November, some high schools go deep into November, um, the only thing that happens is guys end up decommitting and finding somewhere else to go. So this, to me, minimizes that that flipping you know that that flipping season that that these recruitniks have created for these kids so i mean if you're going to do it move it up to before the season starts and you probably won't get as many kids signing which still brings back the impact in february and allows because yeah, the kids the who sign in august to happen would have the ability to uh get out of any letter of intent if the head coach left that would be still the rule and and that would you know create some stability now there might be assistants who left, and that would you know ruffle some feathers. But um, it would certainly allow some kids to um, to. But how, but that happens in basketball right. too. So what's the difference? You know, right? I mean, assistants leaving basketball. It's not. I get you get a little bit frustrated and tired seeing football treated like the golden calf when the rules aren't nearly as equitable as for other sports and it works in other sports. This is the only one where you, I mean, is you see some guys flipping basketball, a handful, maybe you don't see that what the, they've created. It's a cottage industry. That's the the whole recruiting aspect of it where, and and literally the the guys that run the recruiting sites will tell you this is going to happen. They'll tell you, well, he's going to commit, but he's still keeping his options open or he's going to keep his options open or he's about to flip. These guys are going to flip and, so what is it? It, you know, it, it it's it's the pledge and commitment argument. So move it to August, you'll have guys that actually commit. I do sort of half jokingly wait for the day that uh, former college football player in his late twenties brings his uh, old football coach into divorce court when he's when he is a witness to say, look, I, huh. you know, what I was taught a commitment was something that was just something you said. And then you changed your mind, and then you – I didn't realize this had any bearing <laughs> on people's lives, and it was uh, – then I was supposed to commit and then explore. I, I've, in college, I then took four other visits, and so why, why can't that work with, with my, my, my personal life? And, and he will be presenting it to the judge in notes form along with a, along with a uh, you know the notes in his on his phone and then uh, also a very doctored-up photo uh, shot to say, uh, <laughs> I'm entering divorce court. The um, <laughs> the uh, all right. So uh, let's let's get back to Jonathan Smith and how everything w- went down. And and um, you know, going back to whether this was a good hire for Michigan State, I think um, it 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 like obviously right now it's hard to see how it's not. It seems like this is a guy when you look at the possible people out there, and I'm not. You know, Urban Meyer. Who knows what that would have been? I don't think Alan Haller ever had designs on Urban Meyer. I'm not saying that there weren't 
you know, Matt, the Matt Ishbia thing was real, but Matt Ishbia is not the athletic director. It's not, not just because Matt Ishbia would have loved Urban Meyer. That doesn't mean that's that's going to happen. Um, and yep. so that so, but in terms of where Haller's focus was and what Haller was looking for, a sitting head coach, and he originally had twelve candidates by himself, narrowed it to five, brought a few other people in, including trusted confidant Jen Smith, who he says sort of covers his blind spot, his, her strength. She's the one who went out to, to Oregon with him. And then they had they first they were going to interview three candidates in person, interviewed Jonathan Smith first. I believe, Haller wouldn't say this, but I believe interviewed uh, Mike Elko. And, and I know I know I had heard uh, through – through sources that uh, Elko withdrew his name uh, the day before Thanksgiving because he believed that Smith was going to be the head coach. And then for, there was a third candidate, I don't know uh, who that was, um, that they were going to, but it, the, the interview in person was going to be a couple days out, and Haller was just thinking, what am I doing? Smith is the guy. He didn't know if the UCLA job was going to open up or anything like that where, you know, he's a guy who grew up obviously in, in Pasadena. And, and so this seems like Haller's genuine first choice, and you can see a lot of the reasons for it, for what Michigan State needs right now. Um, somebody who can take a program. Like, I think Michigan State's in a lot better shape than Oregon State was when, when he took over Oregon State. They have better resources than he had when, when – but they are going to be in a, a conference with a lot of behemoths. And now you don't have to win that league anymore. You just got to get to about 10 games, 10 wins to get in the playoff. But – and they're not always going to have to play Ohio State every year. That's going to be kind of an every other year thing. It's still going to be a difficult road. And and I think what, what Alan Haller saw was if you can get somebody who can build a solid program that is winning eight, nine games a year, from there you can grow. But, you you, you know, you, you're not just going to shoot rocket to the top of this thing and um, and all of a sudden become something you weren't. I think one of the one – of Chris, I think one of the problems with Mel Tucker that was – and obviously there wound up being a few – but – one of the, the the in terms of fit was where he came from, the other schools, yeah, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and wanting to create Michigan State in a mold of them, and that's not who MSU is. And I know some people want it to be, but it just never. It as long as you care this deeply about AJ Hogard at point guard, your football program could never be Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia because they don't care who's playing point guard for them. And and that matters in in, in priorities and finances and in, in all sorts of all sorts of things. I think that was one of the things. But Jonathan Smith comes from a place that is and an, an, an idea of how to build a program, what it looks like that's a better fit for who MSU is. I mean, listen, Mel Tucker, a guy from Cleveland, Ohio, completely abandoned recruiting Ohio. That is it's mind numbing. It it it's it, it's speaks more to me about kind of what you said, where he came from. I mean, he came from Ohio State. He came through Alabama. He came through Georgia. All those programs were at an elite level and have been for decades, decades and decades and decades. And Mel Tucker kind of thought that you could just plunge in head first. And that's, and you know, it's it, I, it's kind of Pollyanna-ish to think that because all you had to do was look at the previous staff and see when they were recruiting at a high level, they were doing it with guys from Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and 
a couple guys from Georgia, a couple guys from Florida, a couple guys here or there. Uh, this this is the problem in the transfer portal era. If you are recruiting outside of your region, you're just as likely for those guys to jump ship now as we've seen. And it's not tenable. And this is the one thing I thought Barnett brought up at his final presser, which I thought was one of his better pressers other than the, the idea that he was going to be the head coach. But he brought up that. Yeah, I think there was always a wink and a nod yeah, with that. Yeah. Like, but but he he did bring up how you built it, how Michigan State has been successful, the places you go into Florida, into Georgia a little bit, but the the core of who you get is 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 the Midwest and this region and Western PA and Ohio and, and Illinois and Indiana and Michigan, and you know it. it the other dynamic that will get really interesting, and I have not done a lot of reporting on this yet, and and um, but. There is this sort of elephant in the room, or as Tom Izzo would say, white elephant in the room, and as somebody who's watched a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. I, I do want Tom Izzo to watch some Hallmark Christmas movies just so he can see some white elephant parties and, wait a minute, what's, what's going on, the white, white elephant party? Um, anyway, but it, 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 I, sh- I should recommend the, the – well, but I was going to say, if you're going to do that for Izzo, recommend to him to watch uh, – how many liver pills Carter has? Oh, that, at, that saying comes yeah. to yeah. comes to Christmas. No, I was just going to give him a list of Hallmark movies, including one I uh, watched this evening. Um, but the uh, no, I the the elephant in the room is the NIL situation and what Michigan State has there, uh, what SD four L is the 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 shell that it was, what it's still doing as an operational arm. Um, you know, it's still something you see out there. Uh, it is not. I, I continue to think that it has to be rebranded, um, and the the way the, the timing of when they they shut that down and stop paying some of those contracts, you, you don't repair those relationships. And I don't think. And I understand people should be able to do what they want with their money. I'm not saying. And I understand there might have been some frustrations on. Steve's, then don't sign contracts, the guys. That's the thing. The contracts are going to have to be different next time. You know, I understand you think a lot of guys are going to leave, but there are guys who might not have left who are probably going to leave now because they don't trust that that's going to be there or the, or they're more apt to go somewhere else with an NIL deal. I, I just think that – so where that is, again, it's not you, – you got to know that, that that's going to be used in recruiting. Oh, 100%. I mean, now, plain and simple, they're going to be negatively recruited and are being negatively recruited uh, against with that. And So SD4L, which is still funding the basketball team at very high levels, and – still is a meaningful saying to a lot of alums of a different era and people who once held that and, and, and sold that brand over to the group that has it now. Um, I, I, you know, I think that that, uh, in some ways, you just ought to give it back and then do a separate deal. But it, it, I am curious where promises are being made financially there now, what they're able to do. Um, and obviously, you're going to have to have a collective <clears> – <throat> you know, of, of sorts, you're going to have to have a, but you also, one of the things that I don't know where they are with this is, you know, it's okay if you're not a school that recruits with an IL, you just have to decide again, this goes back to deciding what you are before you, who you hire. And these conversations were probably had with Jonathan Smith. He probably has a pretty good sense of it. And so that's, that's one thing that I think needs to sort of be understood and answered in, in terms of what they're working with and what's now an important part of it, because obviously his salary is more than Mel Tucker was making just from the school, right? That's a seven point two five million. Mel Tucker was about seven point one. Well, it's six point six point six million in base salary, 
and then TV the money. escalators, the one plus is outside. Some it, some of it could be outside money. Okay, okay. So so we my, haven't seen the, the official contract. All we've seen is the term sheet. Term sheet. Okay, that's that's fair enough. The contract's good though. The the, the sa- assistant salary pool is going to be fine there. Obviously, there's there's there, there's a lot of money to do the old school ways of building a program. The question is the new school stuff. What is there for MSU? And I think that that's going to matter here. Um, eventually in, in keeping this roster and recruiting kids in. Oh, it absolutely in, in the matters. Transfer portal. Yeah. Absolutely matters. I mean, it, and, and so what, 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 what is that? I mean, you, you're not getting guys. I mean, coaches have been talking about million dollars, you know, the, the Washington state quarterback has apparently seven or $8 million plus offers for next year. And, and NIL money, I use air quotes. I mean, this is what it is. Well, and so, but but so the question is, are you recruiting with it? I, you know, I don't. Th- I think you can be a school where kids show up, and it's like once you get there, there is money for you. I, I don't think versus that, promises I, that's, and recruiting. It, then, then you're a, a mid tier to lower tier program at that point. I think Michigan does a lot of that. I think I think I think there's ways to do. It. I mean, you just have to know when you get there, it's there. We also don't. We also don't know if Michigan's publicizing some of the things that they're doing. True. 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 That's very. That's very true. Yeah, and. So anyway, that is a big question I have that 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 I have not had answered or worked on uh, to a, to a great degree yet, and 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 will because that will I think tell us what Michigan State's ceiling can be in a lot of ways, and some of that's going to be you know yes on some fans to contribute, but that's also going to be on the university to explain how that works to create a system where people get like Spartan Fund points for NIL giving because that's what people want but you're not giving to the university that's the problem that's the that's where the fallacy is and you know there's not a lot i don't want to say information because i mean we've reported it many people have reported it but i don't think there's a lot of common understanding and knowledge that this money isn't coming from the school and these things aren't being run by the school and not allowed to be run by the school even though wink wink nudge nudge every uh, coach sort of, there's yeah. there's right. coaches who have to know i need this much money for this player and you know it's it's the sham of what it is right now it is what it is um it's not saying it's not saying it's good, um, and at some point there's going to be another shoe to drop with all the NIL mess. Well, it's not just the, the NIL thing is might be secondary to a complete change down the road in short order here, as is is the the power power leagues step away as as they become uh, employees or somehow yes. compensated. That that's going to come. That's going to become a big. That's a huge thing in the next few years. Wait for the unionization and the benefits and everything else to come with it. But but a lot of they don't want that. The players don't want to be uh, don't want to be employees because there's a lot of a lot of downside for that too for them. So it's going to be interesting how that all gets handled. And but the problem is in the near term, and even in the long term, NIL is going to be a part of things. And you need to have a, an operation in place that that supports kids at a level that allows you to be competitive at the level you're willing to compete at. So. The one thing I do like about sort of NIL and collectives is if you operationally do it right, if you get some big boosters running something and then say, this is how you donate to fans, this is how you support it, and then you're not getting kids because you don't have the money, it's back on everybody in the program. It's back on the fan base. Everybody's expectations have to be 
tailored to what they're willing to contribute in some ways, even if that's, I think that is going to be one of the really interesting things moving forward. But for MSU, we have to find out what they have, how much they're able to compete. You know, from what I understand, they, they didn't lose Keon Coleman to Florida State for NIL. I, my understanding is he took a pay cut to go to Florida State. They have not lost kids to NIL yet. NIL has not bit this program a ton yet until they took NIL away from them in the middle of the season, and we'll see what the ripple effect of that is. Some of the kids who transfer, it'll be interesting to talk to them how much that played into it and uh, because I, I do think that destabilized the roster more than it needed to be. And let's understand something else here. If we're going to call this what it is, and it's business, this isn't hurt feelings. These aren't kids that are having hurt feelings because something was done. This was a business transaction that was pulled out from and under them. And if you aren't going to operate like a business, then why should they? Why should the kids do that? Why should the kids give you the benefit of the doubt as an NIL collective if you aren't operating like a business? This isn't charity anymore, period. You were, these the 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 high end boosters wouldn't have done this at their own companies, and they wouldn't have been allowed to. And you cannot do this to these college athletes at this point for guys that you have a signed contract with, and that are now relying on that money, and then you just pull it out from around them. It's a bad, 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 bad look. The the contracts will have to be written differently, and and there was a loophole that allowed them to do it, and and the next ones won't won't have that ability. I, I, I promise you that because like for the this is Sparta collective they didn't pull out their their contracts are more more firm and um those athletes and and other sports are all still still fine and happy with with their arrangement um i guess so the next thing on football before we talk hoops uh is there anything else we need i mean the the football game itself was the most non-competitive thing we don't need to get into that um anything else Uh, the coaching staff will be interesting to watch in the coming days uh maybe when we talk next week we'll have some some answers there on on more specifics if if we're looking at guys that might be carried over you know if you want to talk about anything about the Penn State game I'm trying to have a hard time yeah I've had a hard time over the last few days rectifying whether or not that coaching staff gave up on the kids uh during that game on the offensive side because it was run run pass punt run run pass punt it was predictable they weren't getting anything done and it was getting worse and worse and worse and there wasn't much outside of that ill-advised pass end around pass that went south and turned into a a sack and an intentional grounding uh but i also understand that penn state was physically superior in that game and teeing up on katen hauser and really getting around their, their pass rush was getting around that offensive line all day and they had i think seven sacks but hauser got hit a lot and so i have a hard time rectifying whether or not the coaching staff gave up on the kids or whether they were trying to protect them from getting hurt with and that's that's a hard line and that really kind of summed up the end of that season and that era yeah but my biggest guess for guys to stick around from that staff would be barnett who i had a weird uh interaction with and uh you know bless harlan for being honest, but I think he felt like he overstepped. I, I shot him a text and just said, "You know, are you being, are you sticking around, being retained?" And he he, he said, "Yes." <laughs> I said, "You know your role yet?" And he said, "Not yet." So I updated the story, tweeted it out. 
And then like an hour later, he was clearly hearing from people and he was like, well, there's a possibility. I'm like, all right, okay. I still have to talk to Jonathan Smith. All right, all right. So we'll, we'll see where that, I would guess he's coming back based on what he's told recruits and what would make a lot of sense, I think, for Jonathan Smith in terms of trying to keep this team together because what did Harlan Barnett do best as an interim head coach? Kept that group together. And then Courtney Hawkins is a name that you, you haven't heard a receivers coach necessarily coming over with all the offensive guys. You know, Nick Marsh's recruitment is is tied to him. Beyond that, I think Hawkins is a guy, Chris, that has impressed both you and I at times. Uh, other receivers have spoke highly yeah. of. Um, and, and so I just, I, I just, and he's not a guy who's bounced around as an assistant in a lot of places. Obviously he came from the, you know, he's an alum who came through the high school ranks to here. I, it just, it just makes a lot of sense to me. It makes way more sense. And it, when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, Harlan Barnett has recruited Ohio, grew up in Cincinnati, knows all the coaches there. Courtney Hawkins grew up in Michigan, played at Michigan state. Both of those guys played at Michigan State, but Hawkins, having been a high school coach, being an athletic director, knows all the important people around the state. That's the kind of institutional knowledge that Jonathan Smith needs to keep and rely on. And I think once you start getting into the games, um, it helps transition and translate things about the the school and the rivalries to kids. And it also does that to Jonathan Smith. Having that institutional knowledge of of those two guys, um, what they bring in recruiting, having Mark D'Antonio around, obviously having Alan Howler having played here, um, you need as much of that, uh, I guess, uh, boost or propping up uh, when you are new to an area. And I think you know those are the guys that, to me, because the rest of Mel Tucker's staff, who who had previously been around here, none of them. Kapilovich, no. Yeah. Jay Johnson, no. Scotty Hazelton, no. Uh, Ephraim Reed, no. I mean, all these guys that were on that staff outside of Hawkins and Barnett haven't been here. Tyron Reynolds, Jim Salgado, none of them had ties to the state, the area, or even the the region. And I think with, with both Hawkins and Barnett, too, you're talking about two guys, NFL pedigrees as well. I mean, you know, if, if, if coached. He's not, yeah, you're not just like. It's not charity Keeping here. Guys around. No, yeah. no, these guys have coached guys who become NFL pros, and and so there's there's that too. Um, so um, anyway, that'll be for for the next pod. We'll get into that more uh, next week. Let us talk some hoops because a lot has happened in basketball as well. Um, Michigan State played an Arizona team that I think is um, they're kind of who I think is this year's UConn. When I watched them, similar to last year, I was out in Portland and watched UConn tear through that tournament and MSU's bracket, and I, there's the size, the depth, the number of uh, quality playmakers. The size, the depth, the depth of size. The depth of size, yeah. It, it just, it, and so in Michigan State looked completely outclassed for a while and then got it together and, and put up a heck of a fight in the second half, and and then the AP voters who didn't apparently watch the game dropped them six spots, even though Ken Palm put them up six spots. But that's neither here nor there. You know. The USA Today coaches poll, uh, powered by Gannett, uh, <laughs> still has Michigan State at number 25, so you will see that in our – There you go. You, our Gannett stories, <laughs> that you will see that Michigan State is still number 25. So And then, and then they play uh, Georgia Southern, who is you know, um, the worst team they played, uh, in, at least in terms of Ken Palm uh, – this this year and d- didn't shoot well and they've got some, some athletes and whatnot but just a mismatch game the biggest thing from 
the first game I just mentioned, Arizona to Georgia Southern, Chris, was the change in the starting lineup. And, and Cooper sitting for Mati Sissoko, big whoop. I think by the end, Cooper will be back in that spot. But those two are playing fairly interchangeable minutes. I think Cooper provides more. Yeah. But it is the A.J. Hogard and Izzo putting some teeth to the idea that he might shake things up. The question is, is that a one-game type shakeup? Um, or is and because he starts Holloman, it's not starting Jeremy Fears either. Is, is that a move that lasts for a little while? What's your best guess? He started Holloman and then brought Fears off the bench yep. and then brought Hogart off the bench three minutes after that. So, yep. you know, there there was a message being sent there. I I don't know how it might go. Um, I, I'm not really sure what to make of A.J. Hogard right now, quite honestly. Um, and I, I think Tom Izzo doesn't know what to make of it. I mean, if, at that post-game press conference after the Georgia Southern game, he was asked about just making the lineup change, and there was just a long pause and just pensive before he decided to say what he was going to say. And, you know, when you hear a coach say something like, the guy's supposed to know what he's doing and he's supposed to listen to his coaches and basically says he's not. Um, you know, Tom Izzo, to me, seemed like a guy who was really searching in the depth of his coaching toolbox to figure out how to light a fire under A.J. Hogarth right now. And that's not a good place to be for a guy that has, is a Hall of Fame coach and a senior point guard. Yeah, here's my read on it too. Is like I, I think he sort of hitched his wa- hitched his wagon to the wrong point guard in a lot of ways. Not on Curtis's roster, but this is his senior. This is his guy, and they're at their best when AJ Hogard is at his best. The problem is they can't trust him to be at his best, and I don't think they can get where they want to go without AJ Hogard. But I also don't think AJ Hogard can take them where they want to go right now, based on what we've seen. I think that is the hardest thing for Izzo to deal with right now. Is he sees the best of Hogard? He's trying to be loyal to him. Yeah, and he's trying to be loyal to him in part because he he's still his best point guard when he's playing well by quite a ways, I think. Now, the the if A.J. Hogard was not on the roster at all, see, this is where I think it gets interesting because if A.J. Hogard was not on the roster and you had to speed up the development of fears and you played Holloman more and then, and then Walker was playing more at the one, it's a different makeup, and I don't know that it would be worse right now because you'd have consistency, you'd have other guys in, in defined roles, but the still the ceiling of Hogard, the best of Hogard for like a six minute stretch against Arizona, for a little, for yeah. points in time against Georgia Southern, you see it, and you're like nobody else on Michigan State's team has the size and ball into like take over a game physically, getting in the paint and doing things. And, and that, the problem is then at like the end of the Arizona game though, after he does that for a while, the ball still winds up in his hand taking shots from outside of 15 feet in key moments, and he's not the guy to take those shots. Those aren't the shots that are going to win you games. So they've got to work on that in the offense too. They've got to figure out the way that if he's got the ball in his hands at the very end, they've got to find a way for him to get it to other people. I, I think they're going to have to look at other lineups. They're going to have to look at small ball situations and late game situations. They don't have enough shooting on this team. It, it's very clear at this point when you just look at their – their numbers through they, they they've in one game this year shot better than thirty five percent from three and looked like a dangerous outside shooting team and that was Alcorn Alcorn State they they do missing 
what missing Joey Hauser did in terms of spreading the floor is not something that they can. I, I don't. I, they they don't have an easy answer to overcome that because he was a, a true shooter, and that's Malik Hall can make threes. Other guys can make threes, unless we fast forward a year for Xavier Booker. I don't think you have that player anywhere. Yeah, I mean, and it might be a year and a half, two years with Booker. I mean, because he's got a lot of work to do. That's a whole other thing. I think he's got to work on his motor. He's got to work on his strength. Well, let's go there. Yeah. Um, but before before we go there, I mean, you know, looking at that, at what you said, I mean, between Hogard, it, it, it's not just him settling for the outside shots. When he does get into the paint, when he is going north and south, he's gotten his shot blocked a lot. I mean, he's gone straight up into guys' arms. And that wasn't the A.J. Hogard that at the end of last year um, we saw. He was going to and through guys. Now he's going to them and just getting pushed and shoved back to earth with the ball. And and, and it's that's a difference. I mean, as much as he's sitting and relying on those outside shots, I don't feel like he's driving as strong or trying to finish as hard around the bucket. You saw it in that stretch in the Arizona game, but that's it. That's the only time we've seen it all year, really. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's a, it's a tough situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, and fears, you know, I think has a higher ceiling than Holloman. And when we see in that um, in that Georgia Southern game, him start to attack a little more. I liked fears actually playing with Hogard, and you see him, uh, you know, getting into the lane, hitting those floaters. Obviously, he had the ten rebounds, um, and 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 Holloman played well again. I mean, I think Holloman is maybe the best role player on this team because we saw the one game when he started for Walker. They needed someone to go outside and shoot and score, and that's what he did. And in this game, they needed someone to run the point, get the offense flowing, and. He wasn't crashing the boards. He wasn't really trying to do too much on the outside. He was distributing the ball. He had 10 assists. No, you're right. But on this team, like the, what they're counting on from A.J. Hogarth is not having that solid point guard, but being also a, a, a dangerous difference maker. And that, you know, and I think Fears has a greater chance of getting to that point but than, than Holloman does. The Hogarth at his best is the multi threat. Yeah. You know he he's and he's lost right now on the defensive end too. So it's which like, is weird because when he's locked yeah. in, he's still really good defensively, and yet he he has he takes some plays off. His mind wanders. It seems I don't. know. And he says all the right things. It's like, are you listening to yourself? You know, I mean, to his credit, yeah. you know, yeah, out, out in, uh, in, in in Palm Desert, he was, you know, Walker didn't really want a whole lot to you know do with the post game interviews. He eventually did them, but uh, nobody was. But Hogard sat there and and talked and and said all the right things and yet it's just not translating and there are deficiencies in his game in terms of his shooting ability and other things but um you know he, part of it is also the makeup of the rest of the roster so now let's transition to the big who can shoot who's not ready to play and Xavier Booker cuz this is the one thing you see a lot of people talking about online and a lot of fans I think are frustrated with and because, you know, here's a guy who was a five-star, one of the top guys in, in, in the class he was in. It wasn't a, a great class, but still, uh, I, I think we all thought he would be. He was more ready than this. It sounds like they knew it was going to take a while with him. But one thing that Izzo has 
brought up more and more because for a while Izzo would talk about strength being the problem. But recently he started saying there are guys who aren't that strong who can still do it. It's it's motor. And I think it's 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 motor in the nuances of knowing where you need to be. But it and it just you know, in the last game you would see a, him, you know, miss a shot and then on the other end give up a layup. Like if, if it he wasn't could, a layup, that was a dunk, a straight blow by dunk. Well, it was one dunk, one layup, <laughs> two plays on the. So he, you know, there, he's got to not do that on the other end. Like he's got to be now. I don't know if, you know, in the long term, he's better at the five um, when he gets stronger. I, 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 they, he basically just needs to un- have a better understanding of things, have a better motor, and be stronger. And that's really hard to do on the fly. Unfortunately for MSU, in terms of skill, he he has something that. Um, that they could use. It, what will be interesting to see is when Jackson Kohler gets back, and he's not a yeah. true shooter the way that that um, Joey Hauser was either, but he's a skilled offensive player. And what does that element potentially offer Michigan State, especially at end of games? I was just talking about the idea of Hall to five, going small, whatever you're doing. Is, is Kohler the best option when you, when you need one more offensive option on a team that's a little more limited because you don't have the Hauser player? Yeah, and and let's let's not discount what Joey Hauser did inside the arc too, because there were points where he was able to go to the basket and he was a a, a really strong rebounder. But I think Hall gives you what the interior side of, of maybe not to the same level. I I don't think to the same quite level. Maybe by maybe by the middle of the year, he could be because I mean. You're talking about a kid who last year played hurt, then had off-season surgery. I don't care what anybody says. That takes time. That that takes time to get back to the – and we've seen it in flashes. I think he's been consistent, but just like Izzo said, there's more that for Malik Hall to give, and it's just about the body catching up to it. Um, Booker, listen, I, I talked to some folks down in Indiana uh, before he came here last year, after he signed – and from what I gathered, there, there was a coaching staff down in that state that was ecstatic that Booker didn't pick them because they felt they had to recruit him, but he didn't have a motor. And and this is a kid that was up until that summer where he was hitting his stride on on the summer level, which there's no defense played on the summer level. Um you know, but he was hitting from outside, and he's got six eleven, long wingspan. That I mean, that, that's tantalizing. I mean, he is a better probably NBA prospect than he would be a player as a college freshman. Um, he wasn't Jaron Jackson by any stretch of the imagination. He didn't have the strength of the strong inside game uh, to go inside or out. I mean, he right now is just hovering around the arc when he's in there on offense. He is not a viable post threat. And part of that is because he weighs 210 pounds or whatever it is. So, you know, that's going to take time to develop the strength piece. And, you know, until you get that, you know, you can't be a one-trick pony as a 6'11 guy. It is interesting. I mean, so you're basically saying he's their uh, foster lawyer is what you're saying for that Indiana school. Uh, the uh, Not in the motor, but I'm just saying that, that, it felt they, like they, they had they to they, that other That other Indiana school might have a lawyer. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, also he's not tall enough to play, be a big for for that other Indiana school. Uh, you have to be at least seven foot three and weigh two hundred <laughs> and weigh a hundred pounds more than he does. Um, but the uh, no, well, it'd be interesting to see him develop though. He is a if he sticks with it at MSU and he is willing to be coached, he has tremendous tremendous upside and uh, he is clearly not a one and done in that sense. 
the, the thing I thought early on and, and, and still think to some degree is can he be a guy that, you know, you think back to Deontay Davis, who actually played a lot early in that 2015-16 season as a freshman, but can he, but late in the year became a very, very integral cog. Like he affected winning for them because he did things that, that and I'm starting to really doubt whether that's even possible for Booker this year. Ideally, what they would get him to a point is that he could actually play a meaningful role. And uh, but it's just it's it's really hard to imagine, especially as Kohler comes back, that you'll see a lot more you know needed minutes for him. But maybe you know Izzo said the other day at practice, you know they, that he he called or whatever and, and wanted to come in and watch film. And maybe as the light continues to come on for him, it will be because he is a guy because of his gifts. If the light sort of comes on, and for big guys, it's often different that it could happen rather quickly in certain ways. And again, he's not going to be stronger this year. The guys do not get stronger in season. Weightlifting is an out-of-season thing in basketball. But he could be a guy that that all of a sudden he just plays with a little more urgency, and all of a sudden, because of all his skill, there's he's helpful to be on the floor at times. Yeah, and, and I don't want to I don't want it to seem like I'm piling on the kid either because from what I gather, like he's a kid that cares and wants to. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's when you're six eleven and you are kind of a late bloomer in that respect. You're not gonna. I mean, the expectations for Xavier Booker because of that fifth star are probably a lot more than where they realistically should be. And that that fifth star comes because why? Because you committed to a certain program, partly because you've got a skill set that the NBA likes, probably more so. But that doesn't say where you're at at the moment. You know, and, you know, those are things that I, I and Tom Izzo is probably the right fit for a guy like that in a lot of ways uh, because the kid does want it and, and wants to do it. And it's going to take time, though. One thing that's interesting is Izzo keeps bringing up that Xavier's parents are on board. That, that seems to be something that, like, that everybody understands what needs to be done and the parents understand that he's not ready. And, you know, I, you know talking to Booker back when he was in high school, talking to Booker now, like, he is a, a bright kid. You're right. Yeah. He is a kid who wants to get things right. He wants to, and the relationship he has with Fears, I think, is significant. Fears has his back. He work. He, he, you know, you talk about a guy who's who is going to be a terrific leader. And I think this is part of the problem Izzo has with Hogard right now is that his freshman he sees all the natural things that Hogard maybe doesn't have, and yet Hogard is ahead in certain ways because he's a senior and he's a little bigger and, and whatever. They're different players, and yet when you see the relationship with Booker and you know. I, you know, him watching Fears raise Booker's arm on an inbound play defensively and talk to him about where to be. And, and you know, a guy, I mean, Malik Hall yeah. does a lot of that too with Booker, with, with the other bigs, does it with Sissoko. Where we sit on the baseline, one of the great things about covering Michigan State is where we get to sit for games. And if one of the things when you talk about the impact of Malik Hall, to watch him talk to Carson Cooper and mostly Mati Sissoko when he's in the game, I'm not sure Adi Sissoko can sometimes play without Malik Hall in there. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it is this. It is there's a lot of natural instinct that I don't think Sissoko has that that Hall really, um, really talks and walks him through. And, and you see the yeah. the value of that guy. Uh, yeah, people sure. people have unnecessarily dogged on fans. I should say have unnecessarily dogged on Malik Hall. I think because I mean because they saw because they saw the broken part. You know, with the foot or the toe problem, or whatever it was, with him, 
And, you know, that does take time to get back to where you were. But he's also never been he's also never been the guy that I think people hoped he would be. And that's that is and part of that's injuries and part of that is, you know, we, we saw early in his career a jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing. And he's never really mastered something that he can hang his hat on. And that, that just may be the player he is, but that that's okay. It's just not – but I think early on he was tantalizing in a lot of different ways, Yeah, and there was but, nothing that really developed in, in those but if ways. But you, if you can contribute as a leader like that, that is that is absolutely something. Then that might be his best gift. And maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not a consistent 12 and, and 8 or 12 and 10. Um, maybe it's – just making sure the other guys around you are going after their 12 and 10. Well, the next game we cover will be a Big Ten game. So that'll be interesting. Wisconsin uh, on Tuesday. Um, it's, it, you know, ba- these Badgers are the quintessential Badgers. I will tell you that. Like they will look like Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They will talk like Wisconsin. They will walk like Wisconsin. They're not a bad team. Um, and and I think a, a good test for where Michigan State is because they're not Arizona. But they're also not Georgia Southern, and and I think they're better than Butler. Although Butler's had a pretty good run here, I think the Butler win is going to hold yeah. up better than you think. Um, but that'll be interesting to see. I, I you know after that we'll come back and do another another one of one of these uh, podcasts. Um, we'll see who starts at point guard. We'll see what they look like. The game counts in the Big Ten standings. They need to get wins against teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament hunt. And Wisconsin will be, I think, and. Uh, um, so it's a big game in that sense. And then they go to Nebraska on, on the weekend. Yeah, it's that time of year. And obviously we'll be keeping an eye. Monday the portal opens for undergraduates and it's open season after that. It's uh, kind of like the, the, the it, in Western Pennsylvania growing up, the first day after the Monday after Thanksgiving uh, was always hunting season opening. So that's kind of how this is. Uh, the first day after the regular season, the first Monday after the regular season, and they're after the championship games, and it's hunting season for coaches to go find portal guys. Um, and then, you know, obviously Jonathan Smith will be busy with that. He'll be busy with getting high school recruits. So we're going to start to see some of those kids and maybe some of those coaches showing up in Breslin Center with for some of these big basketball games with recruits. So. A lot of things to kind of keep an eye on this month. If Kirk Ferenz pulled off the greatest upset of all time in the Big Ten Championship game, would Jonathan Smith be confused by the Kirk Ferenz statue being built outside his office by fans, <laughs> at least as a snowman in December temporarily? I, I think there would be. I mean, would it be more more apt to build a Phil Parker statue there? A Phil Parker. Oh, yeah. I see where you went with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens perhaps, with the coaching perhaps, staff. Perhaps. And and would it be weird if if they built a Phil Parker statue and then he hired him as his yeah, defensive yeah, yeah, coordinator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Just throwing things out there, spitballing things for things for next week's rundown. <laughs> we uh, we appreciate you listening as always. Uh, please rate, subscribe, um, throw fruit, whatever it is. Send eggnog. Um, uh, I will drink it. The um, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal. Detroit Free Press and USA Today Network. And uh, we will uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.
Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.